This is People Every Day. Coming up, is Space Jam 2 really out of this world? People's movie critic breaks down LeBron James's new remake. Plus, notes from the ground at Cannes Film Festival and a look back at the enduring Chappaquiddick mystery surrounding Ted Kennedy and Mary Jo Kopechny. It's July 16th. Hello, hello. This is People Every Day. I'm Janine Rubenstein, and it is Friday. It has arrived in all its glory. My producer, Julie, and I were trying to figure out why this week felt so long, and it's because it was. There's been so many holidays recently. This was like the first full week for us in a while. So cheers to the weekend. There's a lot happening uh, from all of the great movies and TV being released. We'll get into that in a second. But also, on a historical note, this weekend marks the 52nd anniversary of the mystery of Chappaquiddick, surrounding the death of 28-year-old Mary Jo Kopechny, a mystery that involved Ted Kennedy and a host of other political players. And my colleague, Liz McNeil, knows all about it and why people are still fascinated all these years later. She even found out some new details, so stick around for my chat with her. Now, though, let's talk movies. Another thing happening this weekend and has been going on for a little bit now is Cannes Film Festival. The glitzy, glamorous red carpets, the stars, and most importantly, the best new films around are back, taking over that little town in the French Riviera. And deputy editor Wendy Noggle is there now and on with me now to give us a little taste of the action. Hi, Wendy. Hi. Greetings from France. How's it going? <laughs> um, well, right now it's raining, so it's not a beautiful uh, French view that I was expecting, but it still is quite stunning. I love it. I love it. it. This is the 74th Cannes Film Festival. It's in full swing and you're at the center of it. So so what is the overall feeling like just when you landed? You just got there, like the stars, the filmmakers, like how are you feeling? Yeah, so there definitely is a sense of joy. I think everyone is really happy to be back and the fact that they were able to pull this off after the pandemic. That said, it is a little different. You know, usually the film festival is in May, you know, so the timing is a little different for people and um, it it is a little quieter. You know, this is my first time here. So for me, it still seems very busy and very hectic. But a lot mm-hmm. of those people are telling me that it's it's not quite the the crowds that they're used to seeing. Got it. Got it. And it's been going on since uh, 1946. But unlike, you know, other award shows and stuff, this one's invitation only. This is the hot ticket, right? Industry only. What can you tell us just about this festival? What makes it unique besides that? Well, I think what really makes it unique is its history. And they really started this festival. A lot of people don't know. It was kind of an uh, an answer to some of the control over the arts that that Hitler and Germany was invoking. And, and so they established this film festival to really celebrate creative freedom. And so it has this long stretch of incredible films and obviously amazing fashion being in France. And, and so I think oh, yeah. it's, it's a really great opportunity to see some unusual films and and all of the like. So I'm excited. I actually have not seen any screenings yet. I'm going to my first one tonight. Um, Yay! So What's I'm, that? I'm looking forward to it. So so tonight I'm going to see a movie called The Restless. And then I'm going to be a guest at the L'Oreal Paris dinner for their Lights on Women Award. 
That sounds fancy. Oh, my goodness. What are you going to eat? Like, have you had a crepe yet? Like, what's the food situation? (laughs) I haven't had a crepe yet, but I've had some wonderful seafood, um, got some pasta today for lunch. Maybe that wasn't a good idea with my red carpet dress, but I couldn't resist. (laughs) And, you know, even despite the weather today, the the sea is just beautiful and um, the fashion is very fun to look at. There are a lot of models, a lot of influencers here. It's making for some really interesting people watching. So who have you seen? What What's happened? So I think one of the most interesting sighting was at lunch today. Um, Elton John and his husband and his kids and, and their crew came in and sat down at the table next to us. And, you know, he's dressed in this wonderful Gucci look and, and I think what? just having a great time. And the, the one thing that I felt was a little awkward is there was kind of the equivalent of a mariachi band that was going around to each table and... <laughs> They did play an Elton John cover, and I just thought, is he like that? Does he hate that? Like, wh- what that? What's that experience like? Like for him? Um, but when they went to his table, they they played something else, and he quite liked it, and he applauded, and he tipped them. Oh my gosh! You could tell his son just adored every moment, and just adores. You know, was sitting next to his his dad, and um, so epic, so that was epic, that was fun epic. to see, and yeah. <laughs> So who are you are you looking to hear more about and see more like this uh, Palm d'Or or Golden Palm? That's the big one. That's the big award that everyone's going for. The last winner was Parasite. Uh, but what are some of the films that you are just hearing a lot about that's buzzing? I'm really excited to see Stillwater. That's Matt Damon's film. You know, word is that that he got a standing ovation for about five minutes after after that screening. Wow. So that's something I'm looking forward to. I think the other um, interesting one is that's getting some chatter, but maybe not for a Palm Dior. Is this movie that is a documentary basically about Celine Dion? Have yes, you heard about Aline. This? Is it Aline? Yes. Yeah. So it's basically, I mean, part of the reason that it's it's getting some buzz is it's basically a biopic called Aline, and it's a woman who idolizes Celine pretty much, but she <laughs> plays Celine at every period of her life. So you have this woman who's 57 playing Celine when she's 12. And then again, when she gets a little older. And so just my head is spinning even thinking about what that m- might look like. And, and a lot of people have said it's it's kind of surreal. Oh, my gosh. So that's getting some buzz, <laughs> but I don't expect it to uh, take home the top prize. Sticking in the realm of movies, time to bring it back to the States and the film everyone is talking about right now, Space Jam, A New Legacy, starring LeBron James. This comes 25 years after the original, starring Michael Jordan, of course. And my son is so excited to see it. He's a fan of the old one and even wore his Toon Squad basketball jersey to camp today. (laughs) I know LeBron's the star, but his wife, Savannah, stole the show on the red carpet. You have to see her in that green dress. But joining me now is People Magazine. Magazine Picks editor Tom Gliato. Hi, Tom. Hey, Janine. How are you? I'm good. Good. Well, yeah. As you as you mentioned, this is a reboot of the Michael Jordan movie that was released, I think, in 1996. Welcome, King James. I am the king of this domain. Don Cheadle plays a sinister algorithm in the Warner Brothers computer bank. The way you get in your son back is if you and I play a little basketball. His scheme is to is to upload. LeBron into the mainframe. And to, the, to that end, he, in effect, kidnaps him. Got it. So, so instead of going down the golf hole. <laughs> right, right. No, no, he gets uploaded. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, <laughs> it's a little more complicated than the original. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
it's basically a chance for Warner Brothers to put LeBron James through scene after scene after scene of Warner Brothers uh, characters, everything from Casablanca to Austin Powers movies. Oh, wow. So we're getting all different types of movie nostalgia moments in this film. Uh, Well, speaking of that, Zendaya, who voices Lola Bunny in the film, she just spoke out recently uh, just addressing the comments people had about her character or how her character looked. So we remember in the 1996 film, Lola Bunny had like the crop top and the short shorts and she was super sexy and there was a lot made of that. But in this film, you see her in just a red regular basketball outfit. Like she has on a full shirt and shorts like the rest of the players. Uh, So I guess I'm wondering how much nostalgia is there in this film for the old film or is it just a brand new movie? It feels very much like a combination of both. Because if you've seen the original, you'll you'll know, you'll understand the setup. The one wrinkle is that in this version, he has a son who resents Pa because Pa does not, uh, LeBron does not acknowledge his computer game skills. So there's a little bit of a there's a tense standoff at the end, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil it. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. Okay. So give it to me straight. LeBron James, is he Oscar worthy? Like how's his acting? <laughs> I, I would say he's Nobel worthy. No, he's, uh, he's, <laughs> he's, you know, he's fine. He, he just has to interact with everything. He just has to sort of stand there and interact and, and shoot some basketballs. I thought he was fine. So I remember the original kind of being avant-garde at its time. You know, you had Michael Jordan in the flesh. Hi, Mr. Jordan, can I have your autograph? Your John Hancock. What's going on here? And all of these cartoon characters, and they were kind of seamlessly intertwined in the movie, and it was really cool to look at. So does this film do that same thing? Like, do you feel that it's kind of technologically savvy, the way that you see LeBron James in the flesh, and then how they're weaving in the green screen and all that? But it's but it's like a factor of a hundred compared to the original, which I actually went and rewatched, and it was actually it held up actually really well visually. But this one is using digital and CGI, and as you say, green screens everywhere. So it's 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 a it's it's a much more sophisticated visually movie. Okay, well, we know Space Jam is going to be a big one, but before I lose you, let's talk about some of the other big shows hitting streaming services this weekend. There's so much happening. I'm looking forward to Naomi Osaka's docuseries, but what is on your radar, Tom? Because you're you're our picks guy. You're who we go to to see what we should be binging. Well, there's a new season of the uh, Mindy Kaling produced Never Have I Ever, which I highly recommend. I really enjoyed that. There's a new series on Apple TV Plus called Schmigadoon, with Keenan Michael Key and Cecily Strong that is basically a Valentine to old classic movie musicals where they're trapped in a little town that's nothing but an old classic movie musical. And then there's also an insane Nicolas Cage movie called Pig that he's getting some of the best reviews he's had in 20 years, I think. It's a typically crazy little movie about a man whose pig gets stolen and he goes on a quest of vengeance to get his pig back. But it's actually a very, very good movie. Nice, nice. And then I'm also seeing the Roadrunner. You know, it's a film about Anthony Bourdain that's being released in theaters. So, so that's a good one. Just so much out there. Tom, thank you so much for taking me through it. Okay, thank you. Next up, East Coast News Editor Liz McNeil digs up new information in the decades-old Chappaquiddick mystery. Stay tuned.
this Sunday, July 18th, marks the 52nd anniversary of the tragedy at Chappaquiddick Island on Martha's Vineyard, where 28-year-old Mary Jo Kopechny lost her life in a car accident. Uh, my colleague and People's East Coast News editor, Liz McNeil, knows all about the enduring mystery behind this story, one that the Kennedy family, particularly Ted Kennedy, who was driving the car that killed Kopechny, is deeply tied to. Hi, Liz. Hi, Janine. Well, 52 years and, and people are still so intrigued in this mystery and, and what really happened to Mary Jo Kopechny, so much so that People Magazine even did our own podcast about it, the brand's first ever podcast that you, Liz, so expertly hosted. So for those who don't know the story, can you quickly explain just the basics of who Mary Jo was and, and what reportedly happened that night? So in a nutshell... On the night of July 18th, 52 years ago, so July 18th, 1969, there was a party on Chappaquiddick Island just off of Martha's Vineyard. And it was a chance for um, people who had worked for Bobby Kennedy's presidential campaign to get together, to reminisce, and to sort of check in. So they have a reunion yeah. party that night. There's drinks, there's reminiscing. Uh, and sometime late that evening, uh, Ted's car goes off the dike bridge and ends up upside down uh, in the water below. Mary Jo Kopechny was trapped inside and she drowned and died at age 28. Uh, Ted Kennedy escaped the car, although the details surrounding exactly how he got out of the car, he was never really able to clearly explain. But mm. he did get out of the car uh, and then what caused so much of the controversy was that it was 10 hours before he notified uh, the police. Wow. Such a long time. So so why do you think uh, the mystery is still so intriguing to people surrounding so many year, decades later? Um, this story, which, you know, has has gone around, is still being investigated. It's such a good question because, you know, I think for many years people... Like, was it was always there, but it wasn't like there was any active investigation into what had happened. There was the official account, uh, right, that uh, Ted said he had tried to save her, along with um, two other uh, men who were at the party that they had, they said that they had dive, dove into the water to try to save her that night. But there were mm -hmm. always so many questions about what happened. Why was there a delay? Uh, what exactly happened that night? And many of the people who were involved in it never spoke, right? There was one investigation. Mm. Uh, and uh, and then after that, uh, really, you could never really get a clear explanation of what happened that night. So there's just never been any clarity. So so the podcast, uh, People's Podcast, Cover Up, examine the events surrounding all of that. And uh, you did the work, Liz. I remember you working on this in like a side room when we were still in the office and you were just consumed. So what new information did you discover through that process? Yes, it was a very intense project. And I think the most interesting thing was at first when I got it, I remember thinking, oh no, how am I ever going to get anybody to talk or anybody to say anything that they haven't said already? But what the most interesting thing was that there were still a lot of people alive who had lived through the events of that night. And they were really marked by it. And it could have been the diver who discovered Mary Jo Kopechny's body the next morning, the police chief, uh, the ferry operator who had brought some of the people over to the party. Many of the locals felt that they had never really 
been given um, the whole story of what happened that night. But a lot of people brought up a lot of interesting things they had heard, um, a lot of things that didn't make sense and that didn't add up, right? And one of the most intriguing things that happened that night and that still is a mystery is that another woman's purse was found in the car. Oh, my goodness. What is one of just like the the wildest theories that you came across? Of I'm, I'm sure people have been like, you know, trying to figure out or, or at least dream up what could have happened. Like what's something that that came into your orbit when you were dealing with this? That's a good question. But well, I guess it depends on your perspective, right, on what is wild or what actually happened. But let's let's take the purse, for example. So one yeah. thing that's interesting about the purse is there's definitely a theory and um, that there was another woman in the car that night and mm. that Mary Jo um, was possibly in the back seat and that uh, Senator Kennedy was with another woman in the front seat. Um, so what got interesting along the way as we started to investigate is that I was told by a friend of Senator Kennedy, uh, who asked him about what happened that night, that um, Kennedy said, I didn't know that she was asleep in the back seat. So when I heard that, that was the first time that I thought, oh, that theory might actually be true. And this, I was definitely led to believe that this very well might be true because during the course of working on the podcast, the family got a letter. Uh, so this is the family of Mary Jo Kopechny, got a yeah. letter from okay. the family, uh, from somebody who had had a lunch with um, one of the women who was at the party. This person did not want to, at the time, give me an interview. But what the letter said was that uh, one of the women had told him that that night there had been a fair amount of drinking, that Mary Jo uh, wasn't feeling well. She had had a little too much and that one of the women at the party had put her in the back seat to get some rest. And uh, then what happened is, you know, some type of shenanigans ensued. I'm not exactly sure what, but the car goes off the bridge. And um, that Ted was in the car with another, another woman. And the car goes off the bridge. They get out of the car. They, they're not hurt. Nothing serious happened unknowing that uh, Mary Jo was asleep in the back seat of the car. Wow. The next morning, mm-hmm. so the woman who had put her in the car wakes up and says, well, what happened to Mary Jo? That's when sort of all hell breaks loose. That's when they realize that, oh, she was asleep in the back. Now, I have no f- official confirmation that this occurred. However, when I saw the letter and when I spoke to uh, the friend of the senators who said that he had been told... It definitely led me to believe that there's a very good chance that that's what happened. Yeah, so interesting. Oh my goodness! And 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 when you think about that, um, and you and you think about uh, you know bringing this story into today and getting all of these details, um, I almost want to go back and think about how it was covered back then. Like, how were were the players painted? Oh, it's such a good question because you wouldn't believe. You know, how Mary Jo, the woman who dies, is almost an afterthought. There's a famous headline uh, from the from that time, uh, uh, which was Teddy Escapes, uh, Blonde Drowns. And in a way, that sort of is a sort of set the tone for how the stories were really always about Senator Kennedy, what he did or didn't do, yeah. how it was going to affect his political career. 
Um, would it, you know, mark him? Um, would it make him not run for president? Because at this time, right, a year after Bobby's assassinated, there's really this drumbeat, right, that is Ted going to yeah. run for president? So it was the stories were really always about Ted and there was almost no information about Mary Jo. So when I started, I mean, I just remember thinking, well, there's nobody left. You know, her parents had died years before. And I just mm-hmm. remember thinking, well, uh, she was an only child. I don't know who else is around, but it turns out that there was a cousin who was still alive and she's really the heart of the story. Nice. I love that idea of kind of writing that wrong. So, so who was Mary Jo really? Well, you know, when I was working on this story, I thought of all of us in the office because she was young career girl, very driven, working long hours. You know, uh, I don't think she had too much of a love life and really passionate about Bobby Kennedy and what he represented and making change in the world. And, you know, yes, you know, she looked different than us and it was a completely different era, but I definitely felt when I learned about her, just how passionate she was about her job and that she wanted to have a future in politics. And think about just like what the options, the options are very different, right? In 1969 for uh, for a young woman in politics than they are now. But there was something really relatable about her. And I really felt strongly that, you know, we should pay her her due and that Mary Jo mattered and that she really uh, was a woman who really cared about Bobby Kennedy and making change in the world. And she really wanted to be part of that. That was Liz McNeil discussing the Chappaquiddick mystery. For more on this story, head over to people.com and check out Cover Up, People Magazine's podcast where Liz goes even deeper into the story. Now, before you head into your weekend, something to make you smile. Yesterday, Courtney Cox, known best for playing Monica on Friends, played a fun game of who knows who best with her 17-year-old daughter, Coco, and posted it to Instagram to celebrate the season three finale of her Facebook watch show, Nine Months with Courtney Cox. So the score was tied 5-5, Courtney Coco. Then mom threw in a bonus round. Listen. Would you rather have a date with young Chandler or young Joey? I'm going to say Young Joey. Correct. Young Joey. Wow. She must have been a sucker for the how you doing. (laughs) If you recall, Monica and Joey almost dated once, though we all know Chandler was in fact her lobster. All right. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. People Every Day is produced by Julia Weaver with help from Fallon Harge, Darby Masters, Maureen Malarkey, and Aliza Sessler. Executive produced by Christina Everett and mixed by Mary Dew, Josh Fisher, and Bahid Frazier. People's executive producers are David Flumenbaum and Zoe Ruderman. Special thanks to Nikki Etor, Will Lee, and the incredible staff at iHeartMedia and People. <laughs> 